Beauty and Brains presents a work in progress. Your favorite weekly podcast all about navigating adulthood and adversity with transparency and vulnerability. Here, we highlight progress over perfection. You're listening to my personal professional development diary, where I share the highs and lows and the real and raw parts of the story that no one talks about. I'm your host, Breland Hunt, a work in progress. Dear friend, I hope all is well with you and that you are as healthy in body as you are sound in mind and strong in spirit. Welcome back to A Work in Progress, the podcast. If you are new here, welcome, welcome. Make sure that you subscribe, subscribe to the YouTube channel, subscribe if you're listening to this on Apple Podcast or Spotify, and make sure that you leave a review, five-star ratings only. So here we are. Okay, if you guys are watching, I apologize already for the lighting, okay? I'm trying to, you know, be proactive, film this early in the morning, and the sun just isn't working with me. But nevertheless, I will persist. Um, Welcome back. Week 12, episode 12. And as you can tell by the title of this episode, today we are going to be talking about cancel culture. Mm. Now, to fully articulate where this topic of discussion stems from, let me transition into this next segment of the podcast, which I introduced a few episodes ago, but then I don't do it every week because I don't be having time. Brain freeze. This is the segment where I discuss my thoughts on breaking news in media and pop culture. Now, mind you, I am on day 13 or 14 of the 21 days of prayer and fasting. I mentioned this in last week's podcast episode, and I'm partaking in the willful, what? The willful refrainment of social media. Um, Really all things culture. So TV, music, YouTube, the only thing that I'm watching on YouTube are sermons, which can get monotonous, but that just brings my attention to God and to praying, which is the purpose of this time. And you guys know, I love me a good fast. I literally, I had to think about it. I think I did four fasts last year because that's how my 2021 went. This past week, I was on a group FaceTime call with my mahogany sisters and If it wasn't for this conversation and them telling me, I wouldn't have even known anything about the situation because I'm off of social media. And some of you may already know what I'm about to talk about. Do you want to know what gave me a brain freeze this week? Michael Todd. Specifically, Michael Todd getting canceled for spitting in his hand and rubbing it on a member's face during his sermon. If you guys don't know, Michael Todd is the pastor of Transformation Church in Tulsa, who I've shared multiple times, probably in almost every single Kingdom Keys. I've shared something for Michael Todd. I've done full podcast episodes where I'm kind of just reflecting on his sermons. Um, And now here he is trending online and was essentially being canceled. We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it today. I think that I have a different perspective of Michael Todd in general. Um, And so that gives me a different perspective on his actions this past week. But before we get there, let's first discuss why it was even like up for debate that he was being canceled. So in the clip, Michael Todd, again, the pastor of Transformation Church, a leader, a person who represents God, because that's what you do when you're on stage as a preacher in that pulpit, representing God. He cupped his hands together and he hawked loogie, I believe is the correct phrase for it, where he purposely tried to get the nastiest, filmy, grimy, mucusy spit from out of his the depths of his soul out into his hand in large globs of saliva and phlegm and and then proceeded to like wipe it on this man's face. And so that clip went viral on social media and many people expressed their disdain for this act, particularly because of obviously this is coronavirus. I myself just got over the vid. And so just thinking about like, not only is that super nasty, that's super disrespectful, like to spit on somebody's face. And it's literally for a, for an illustration, right? So if those of you all who are not familiar with Michael Todd or just like mega churches in general, just a style of preaching, he does a lot of demonstrations because, and I'll get into this more later, 
he really just likes to make things accessible. Um, when I was talking to my mahogany sisters, I realized that I'm an analogy girl. Everything has an analogy. If I can't fully explain it, I can explain it better in an analogy. And so for him, he does the same thing, but like with illustrations, it's like he sees something and he's like, I want them to get it. But in order for you to get it, I kind of have to like show you the way that I see it. And or even show you the way that I feel it. And I think that in this sermon, he was trying to say like, you know, sometimes it can feel you will, like the miracle that Jesus did where he did spit in his hand and, you know, rub it in dirt and then rub it on a blind man's eyes in order to heal him. And it was a miracle because the blind man was able to see. And he was basically like, imagine what that feels like to be so disrespected because that wasn't just like oh my gosh yay Jesus touched me I'm you know blessed and now I'm healed it's like he had to be disrespected through the process because let's just go ahead and put this out there I watched the sermon I watched it after all this went down because I don't watch him on Sundays exactly you know at 11 a.m because like the time difference or whatever is off but I watch about 80 percent of his sermon so I did end up watching that one and I wasn't going to talk about this without watching the full sermon I get what he was saying his purpose of the sermon was kind of just like you're going to have to be uncomfortable through the process of God blessing you. And if you're not willing to be uncomfortable, then you don't have enough trust and faith in God for him to bless you. And like, basically, he has the clear vision of what he's doing for your life. And it's just all about both faith and trust and vision, because I was like his vision um, sermon of the year, he always starts off his first sermon and the beginning of the new year with like the word of the year, the vision that God has given him, etc. So I watched it and I got where he was getting with that. Did I feel like it was necessary? No, but I completely understand how he ended up doing that because, well, first let me rewind because before I watched the clip and before I watched the full sermon, I saw the reactions live from my Mahogany sisters. Like I said, we were on FaceTime and we're on FaceTime, y'all. We on FaceTime for hours, like I think we literally got on FaceTime maybe like 9 p.m. And we got off at like 3 a.m. We talked for so long. And so, you know, people are like on their phones scrolling and things like that. I'm fully invested in the conversation because I don't have social media. <laughs> but anyway, so I'm seeing their faces like, you know, they're scrolling. But you know how it is on FaceTime. Like even if somebody's on a different screen, like you can still see their face like while they're watching something. So I'm watching their faces and they are just disgusted, like literally just disturbed, like screaming out loud, not wanting to watch it, like but can't look away at the same time, but didn't wanting to look away and not wanting to look it again. And that just let me know his actions universally struck an extreme emotion. I think that's step one as to why we can even consider canceling him. And I say this very loosely, which you guys are going to see throughout this podcast, but I can see why the conversation was brought up because it universally struck an extreme emotion. When you watch that video, you cringe. Like it's almost like, I don't think anybody can watch it and be like, oh, it's not that bad. This is going completely off topic, but kind of still on topic it's it kind of reminds me and again very very extreme difference things but it kind of reminds me of the video of George Floyd where it was like it was so disturbing again completely different killing somebody spitting on somebody's face one was for the purpose of leading people to the to Christ to Lord and the other one was just pure disrespect and literally took a man's life completely different things but in the sense of like, when we watched that video, we were all just so disturbed that everybody universally could agree like, this is not okay. This is not right. This makes me feel uncomfortable. So that means that something is wrong with this. Therefore, something is wrong with the person that did this in the video. Going back to watching my Mahogany sisters react to this video, their immediate comments, like even what they said to describe the video, they talked about how, again, the spit came from like this deep rooted place in that he intentionally included that mucus and that phlegm. They talked about the color and the thickness of the spit and even like the reaction of his brother and his overall discomfort because it was his brother I immediately when they showed me the video I was like again I watched Transformation Church enough to know I know what his mother looks like I know what his father looks like I know what his leader looks like his protective covering and I know what his brother looks like so I'm like oh that's his brother doesn't make it okay but it definitely makes it better in my eyes because I I'm sorry 
young sister coming in here my brother has definitely y'all know that thing and, and super immature super immature but y'all know that thing where it's like you can kind of suspend your spit on somebody where it's like you can like have your spit kind of like dangle out of your mouth my brother has done that to me in years ago right we're 25 and 27 now but I'm pretty sure when we were five and seven my brother has done that to me so I'm pretty sure I have at one point in time either intentionally or accidentally like felt the spit of my brother on me because like he's a boy and boys are nasty and like spit is just like one of those just nasty things that little boys do so I can imagine that brother the brother to brother don't mind you this is a grown man with kids and who has a huge platform that he's super responsible of and out of all of those things he's literally representing god on that pulpit but i can see where it's like okay if i'm gonna spit on anybody i'm gonna spit on my brother <laughs> like i think my brother will be okay with it but even then you could still see like in his face like you could tell that he told him ahead of time it wasn't like oh come up here for this demonstration and he didn't know what was happening like when i rewatched it because i watched the clip and then i watched the sermon and it's like knowing what happened in the clip and like hearing my sisters being like he looks so uncomfortable i was looking for it the first time and then i watched it again the second time again knowing what was about to happen and you could see in his face like he was like clenching as if like somebody was gonna punch him like he knew and even like when he heard the spit because i'm pretty sure everybody else in the audience didn't quite know that he was gonna rub it on him on his face like on his eyes in particular but i'm pretty sure his brother knew i'm pretty sure his brother um what is the word consented I'm pretty sure his brother consented to it and he talked about it even in the sermon later on where it was like that's his little brother but his brother is bigger than him he's taller and he's stronger and so if he wanted to basically like punch him for doing that like he could have he literally said that in the sermon um so his brother consented to it does it make it right no but it does in my opinion make it better anywho so I'm watching their reactions and even hearing them talk about how the literal action of spitting on somebody like or spitting in their face makes it 10 times worse because of where we're at in the world right now with it being a pandemic and yeah it just makes his actions not only disrespectful but also life-threatening so you guys know I'm not on social media so how many times can I say that in one podcast ill I sound so, so I'm not on social media right now but I say that to say that I wanted to hear or see what other people were saying about this in order for me to come to you all and talk about this from a um, educated and informed standpoint. So I'm going to leave the links to the different articles that I read online that included some of the tweets. So just so you know, I wasn't on Twitter, but I do have some tweets from some commenters underneath the viral video that basically explains that nobody could justify his actions. Ajane Dawkins at Moons at Dusk said, I ain't never seen all sides of Christian Twitter unified on an issue like this. Not Mike Todd being so unhinged it's bringing unity to the body. Oh my gosh. Um, Nicole Brianna at the Nicole Brianna said, the rest of the message is lost because all caps, you spit on someone. How are we supposed to just move forward from here? Hashtag Mike Todd. <laughs> I, I get what they're saying. And I, I'm not going to tell anybody like you shouldn't be upset. You shouldn't be disturbed. And I think it brings up a good point for us to lead to the conversation of pastoral accountability. Again, like understanding who you represent when you decide to take on the title, especially of such a big church who reaches so many different people. And even like the clip, I feel like viral videos, that's why viral videos can be so misleading because, I mean, I kind of blame him for the fact that right before he did the spit, like he, the point that he used wasn't even really the best way to describe the point of the sermon. Like, I think that the way I said it earlier would have better explained the spit than like, his his one-liner like his big one-liner before the spit was faith is nasty and I saw a lot of people talk about like faith is nasty like that's what you're going to use to justify like this demonstration that yes is nasty but I think the better words can be like disturbing bring you out of your comfort zone you have to like lay down your will and so that but that was what he said so that's the clip that went viral and it was like I wouldn't describe faith, faith as nasty one. 
And two, I don't think that if you're trying to tell me that faith is nasty, that I want to see it that way. Like it just, it didn't hit the same because he didn't quite articulate himself in that viral clip. That's why I feel like it was exacerbated to be something larger than it really was. And so because of that, I feel like a lot of people were even more offended by his illustration because it was neither grounded in biblical narrative itself, nor redirecting those searching for hope to the one who provides it to Jesus or to God. It's like, okay, if I just saw this viral clip on Twitter and I've never really thought about Christ, I've never heard of Michael Todd, am I going to be like, hmm, faith is nasty. Maybe I should pick up that Bible. Maybe I should read a devotional. Maybe I should watch this full sermon to see more. Like I think the purpose of an illustration is to make things clear and ultimately to bring people to Christ. And so it made things foggy and it more so disdained people. So with that being said, I think we can all clearly agree on that his message was lost in the demonstration. Therefore, it did not serve its purpose. However, comma, the first thing that came to my mind, oddly enough, stemmed from another conversation that I had with my Morehouse brother, Malcolm, um, who I just mentioned in last week's podcast episode, not him being a recurring featuring guest, but it's funny because I, I'm pretty sure he introduced me to Mike Todd. Um, we would talk almost every single week when we were first introduced to him in Crazy Faith 1. Like that's when we first watched his sermon. I'm pretty sure he saw this when it's like, I was in grad school, I was going through some stuff. He sent it to me and I watched it and I was very moved. I was like, this is faith season. And literally like we were both like on it, watching every single week, catching up every single week. Like what did you think about this sermon? And we, we have like our own little Bible study. Community is amazing. Anyway. As the years have gone on, because that's like been two, three years ago, he slowly became less interested in his sermons for many reasons. But one was that he felt like Michael Todd kind of overcompensates like with his personality and his elaborate illustrations and like even just the grandiose vibes and feelings of a megachurch that it kind of covers up his lack of experience in seminary school. Now, I disagreed because I don't believe that every preacher has to be educated in the matter officially if they are called by God. I believe that he, God, will give them, the pastors or the preachers or the ministers, what they need to touch lives. Looking at the definition of seminary school, seminary school can take between three to four years to be completed and it requires a previous bachelor's degree. Therefore, the prerequisites for seminary school are high school and an undergraduate degree in any field. And then seminary schools are meant to teach individuals to become priests and serve the community. And I'm following this new um, pastor who's actually here in the Maryland area. And I'm super excited about her because like she's a doctor of divinity. And she even just talked about how like you back in the day, they've changed it recently, but how back in the day you had to master a language, either not just any language, but like Greek or Hebrew um, in order to get your doctor of divinity. But they've recently have like changed that. She just briefly mentioned that. But I say that to say, and I previously mentioned this, that I listened to about 80% of Michael Todd's messages, but I also listen to about five other pastors, two who I have a personal relationship with every week. And some are good for that relational and spiritual guidance. Others are good for community. Others are knowledgeable about the words of God, the history, the Greek and the Hebrew language, and are teachers. And I find that I learn and gain something different from them all. There's things that a pastor can tell me when I FaceTime him and he can tell me the word of God, but directly to my situation because I'm literally telling him my situation, that moves different. There are times where I need you to break down, but do you know what this word means in Hebrew? And so when it means this and, and coupled with this and the history of this, now I'm understanding the word in a different way to where you're educating me, you're teaching me. There are pastors where every time you leave, you're going to leave with a point. And these are points that are derived from the word of God. I believe that Michael Todd more so gives you like, I don't really know how to describe it. It's more... I don't want to say that he's for beginner faiths. I think that he's more for like entertainment faith, if that makes any sense. Like there's times where I receive a lot of good nuggets from what he gives and like even just overall like the sermon and the feeling, but I wouldn't necessarily like just have his word alone. Like I like to couple his words with other people because I find that Michael Todd's messages will encourage me and inspire me, um, bring me different perspective and different things like that. But it may not necessarily like 
give me the root of the word um, in especially the most like biblical way because he will paraphrase whole stories, change names in and out, make things super relevant, very digestible, very easy to understand. Like he makes these stories that seem like so long ago and far away seem like they're here and now and that they're happening. And for certain people, for certain stories, for certain situations, it is helpful. But I don't think it should be the only way that you listen to the word. Either way, I think that there is a place for Michael Todd in the sphere, specifically as a black man in the black church for black Christians. I also think that Michael Todd not having a degree allows him to lean more on God to be more culturally aware, humble, and relatable. And I think that this is specifically his lane. It makes him great for culture. It makes him great for young beginner Christians, for people who are not into religion, but are okay with God and kind of like bring them in. And it's also good for massive reach, such as like on television. However, if he steps out of his lane and preaches as if he knows the things that he simply has not learned, if he preaches as if he knows things that he simply has not been taught, then he is operating out of the will and the grace of God, in my opinion. And I think that it's very hard to walk in your lane with the lines being so thin, because on one hand, I believe that Todd is called to be big and to reach many. And so it feels in line for him to do these illustrations and to act elaborately, because that is how he's going to go viral in the good ways and reach culture. And that's how he's going to grab the attention of young beginner Christians. And that's how he's going to reach the people who are not into religion but still love God. However, Pastor Todd is also supposed to bring people to Christ and not to himself. And as a social media person, I can attest to how difficult it is to be obedient with your creativity. Michael Todd has to be able to be obedient and reach but not get consumed with reach. To describe how hard this is, I want to use the example of Logan Paul. If you guys are like real YouTubers, everybody doesn't know who he is, but a lot of people do, right? So Logan Paul is this YouTuber. He used to do daily vlogs. And I first got into him in like, 2016 maybe and like I said he would do daily vlogs you guys probably know of his brother Jake Paul but if you don't know of either one of them these are like these two white boys they're from Ohio they're like just super like frat boys who just do like I don't know how to explain it they went viral on Vine they crossed over to YouTube he would do daily vlogs but they weren't just like a day in my life vlogs they were like movies where he would do extreme things but he would get views and I literally would watch him not because I so much enjoyed his content but every day the content was so well produced and granted like you know he had a team of people and he lived in a big mansion and he had like merch stuff but just everything that he did was done to such elaboration that I was just intrigued by like how can a person keep this going for so long and he did it because he was good at it and he was good at it because he kept doing it so it was kind of just this never-ending cycle of just wanting to keep the success going but the way that he always received success was going one step further one step further one step further it's like if you already have 10 million subscribers and you're reaching 8 to 10 million people a day on your daily vlogs how are you going to get from 8 million a day to 9 million a day you're going to post one more viral video and then one more viral video like that's how you get viral and like to that many subscribers in the first place you have to have viral videos in order to have that many people subscribe to you and so he kind of was like chasing virality. I don't know if that's the right way that you say that word, but he was constantly chasing going viral. And so he would do things that were questionable in his videos almost every day. Like once a week, he would probably have like every day he would do something that would be worth going viral, but it was kind of so normal for his channel. But then once in a while, he would do something that would be even a bigger push of going viral simply for the fact of like, that's how he knew how to grow. It's like he wanted to be bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's that greed. 
And I don't think we talk about it enough how specifically for Logan Paul, who was just doing this for YouTube and money and fame, that's greed. Like to constantly want more, to never be satisfied with what you have enough of, and never be satisfied enough with what you have, that is greed. So for those of you all who don't know his downfall, he ended up having his worst viral video in the beginning of the new year. I think it was in 2018. And he basically filmed himself in a suicide garden in Japan, I believe it was. And so he filmed a dead body. And it not only went viral on YouTube, but it went viral on like in the news circuit, like everybody was talking about it. And he was canceled. And because he was disrespectful. And again, it was that same thing where he universally struck an emotion in anybody and everybody who watched the video. He ended up not being able to monetize his videos for a really long time. I don't even know if he still can. I know that he's created other channels because the thing about cancel culture is this redemption arc where he wasn't able to post. He had to do an apology video. And then, you know, when he tried to come back, everything that he did was underneath the microscope to where he literally couldn't come back doing the same thing. He tried for a while, but then it was like, he just couldn't. So he has found his new lane. He literally now talks about like Pokemon cards and he has a more like um, adult like podcast, not adult explicit, but just to where before his audience was clearly children. It was like a lot of like bits and fast cuts and cars and crashing and sound effects and it was very like dramatic and animated something that a child would like and this podcast is more so for an adult thing and you could tell that he's really grown and changed because he was forced to look within himself and really think about like what am I doing why am I doing this why did I receive so much backlash and so much hate and all of this that I did leading up to this moment and specifically this moment that got me canceled was it worth it do I agree with always wanting to reach the new level to impress myself to impress my audience to one up my last big thing is that worth everything that I've worked for being canceled being um, neglected. It's now null and void. All of those videos now mean nothing. It's part of his legacy. But if you talk about his vlogs, you can't talk about them without talking about the way that they ended, which was in failure, which was in defeat, which was in a very disgusting way. And going back to Michael Todd in this situation, it's the same thing. He wants to reach a new level and constantly, you know, get better and better and press himself, one up himself. If it's not in line with God, then it will be detrimental to your calling. So alas, Michael Todd's sermon went viral and he is trending on social media, specifically in the Christian fear. But I think another aspect of cancel culture is when it reaches people outside of the immediate audience. So it's not just Christians talking about it. It's not just Christian talk or Christian Twitter. It's literally like big news companies are covering it and talking about it. And I'm going to leave some links in the description box and in the show notes down below. So is Michael Todd canceled? Some would say, since he came out with his apology video, which is another big part in the cancel culture, that he is in line with what people would say is being canceled. And just to kind of go over the apology video, he talked about how it was disgusting, it was a distraction to what he was really trying to do, how he wanted to make the word come alive, how he was so passionate that he does extreme things to try and help the hopeless and to bring them to God. I think that that's such a key word in really this whole purpose of him again doing the most is that he's passionate i'm so passionate too so i get it i get it michael todd but that he used his passion to do extreme things and in the past it has worked but this time he crossed the line and he admits it he said and i quote we want people to see jesus we want people to feel loved we want people who are desperate to be able to find hope and i am passionate so much so that i try to do extreme things to help people get it. And yesterday I crossed the line. So he crossed the line and all eyes are on him, upset and judging. And it definitely gave me a brain freeze. With all that being said, let's really get in to cancel culture. So first off, let's keep it a buck. Cancel culture is toxic. And let me tell you why. All humans make mistakes. Humans learn from mistakes. Anxiety and depression are at an all-time high, especially with the pandemic going on right now. And cancel culture can be very isolating and lonely because it's literally ostracizing someone 
during a really difficult time of their life because of a mistake that they've made. It leaves that person with a feeling that everyone has given up on them and that not even an apology will be able to correct your mistakes. That's not, first of all, of God. So I don't think that anybody in the Christian sphere should be canceled. Cancel culture didn't start in the Christian sphere. It's really interesting because doing my research on this, I I think I knew this, but it came more clear once like really reading about it, where as per everything, black people really started cancel culture. And it started as a response of white fragility. I actually ended up reading somewhere that cancel culture and white fragility are two ends of a double-sided peel. Together, they are a deadly combo of complete ineffectively. So it's ineffective. Obviously, Michael Todd is black and a man, so white fragility doesn't necessarily apply to him. But when looking at cancel culture as a big picture, we have to rewind back to around 2014-2015 when the concept of canceling had become widespread on black Twitter. It's always Twitter. This is why I stay off of Twitter, y'all. At this time, again around 2015, cancel culture was a concept to refer to a personal decision, sometimes seriously, sometimes in jest, and to stop supporting a person or a work. The technical definition of cancellation is total disinvestment into something and it's carried out in online shaming. I feel very much so like a devil's advocate when it comes to cancel culture. The thing that makes cancel culture so dangerous is that it's carried out through online shaming, which is a widespread outraged online response to a single provocative statement and against a specific target. So I personally feel both ways about cancel culture. Part of me is kind of just like, it is way too much. Nobody should be canceled. We all fall short. Like we need to give people grace. But part of me also realizes like it stems in a good place where it's like you really just want to bring attention to somebody's actions in a way that gets their attention to make them have to look within themselves, look at their actions and change, right? The purpose of this is to make this person stop their actions and change. And it's like maybe a big company like Gucci is not going to change unless the culture cancels them and then again does something behind it. So we're no longer going to support you. We're no longer going to buy your things. That way you feel the pain and you make the changes. And it's like if we all just said, oh, Michael Todd, like, it's okay, but like, just don't do it again. Maybe he wouldn't really feel the pain and therefore he wouldn't make the changes that are necessary because he doesn't understand. He doesn't hear the implications. He doesn't understand the weight and the responsibility that he holds in the way that he's impacting the world, the culture, people, places, things, etc. So part of me is like, you need to cancel people because if you don't cancel them, they don't understand how serious their actions are and they won't change and I also feel like nobody is really fully able to be canceled like I mentioned with Logan Paul he wasn't able to fully come back as a daily vlogger in his same way he had to take a look within himself and then change his content and everything that he does moving forward he really can't do anything too drastic he really can't surround his content around the idea of going viral anymore at least in the same way because of the way that he was burned before and I think that that is a good part of cancel culture like just kind of always keeps him in check however he still is able to create content he still is a full-time content creator he didn't have to go and start you know scrubbing floors or whatever like he's still a content creator he's still well known in his field he still has money he still has an audience like I think he lost maybe like 5 million subscribers but then like he gained back 2 million and it's like he still has millions of subscribers basically so I think that cancel culture allows people to have consequences to their actions because in a place where everything is online it's like the only way we can hold you accountable is by publicly shaming you I think that public shaming can go too far but I think that it allows some type of accountability to the person in action and at the end of the day I do support it because I don't feel like you can ever fully cancel somebody. I think that there are people who should be fully canceled like Bill Cosby and R. Kelly and in a sense they are because even if they try and come around it's like you are shamed so heavily online 
that it's just, it's not going to happen. But then for some people, like, I think that there are tiers to canceling. There is like absolute extreme cancellation, which is where Bill Cosby and R. Kelly are, where it's like, there is no return. You are canceled from everybody, not just the culture, not just your sphere, not everybody. You are canceled. I believe that when it comes to sexual assault, molestation, pedophilia, I believe that those people should be and murder, like those people should be canceled. Those people, you are the scum of the earth and you do deserve to be canceled. God can give you grace, but people here on earth, humans, we should, mm -mm, you are canceled. But then there's people where it's like, this is really messed up. We don't really ever want you to ever think that you can ever do this again. So our shame is really just, it's just like the world giving their child a whooping so that they know to never do it again. Will a child still do it again? Depends on how bad that whooping is. <laughs> I laugh at it, but it's actually really scary because again, when we think about the anxiety and, and depression and how scary online can be when there's that many people who are shaming you online, who are outraged at you, it started off as such a good tool to keep people in check, specifically like white people when they're being racist. Like again, it was meant to put them in check like hey it's not okay to be racist like we as black people we have voices and if you're going to be racist and you're and if you're going to be against us as black people we can cancel you and we can make sure that you are no longer supported like we have a voice i think that is definitely important but i do think that it can be taken too far when people who do things that are not on the most serious level of cancel culture still get treated as if they have molested somebody, sexually assaulted somebody, you know, killed somebody. It's like Michael Todd did something that was uncomfortable and not right, but he didn't kill anybody. So he should be held to the same standard of cancellation to where you need to apologize, you need to recognize your actions, and you need to move forward differently but not to where you're so canceled to where you can never go back on the pulpit again, or even to where you can never do a demonstration again. I think that you still can, but now because of that public shaming that you've had, hopefully you'll always go about it with the understanding of, I can't do too much, basically. Like I have to keep myself in line. I always have to have this, I, I would literally say it this way to other people, cancel culture is society's way of having a checks and balance. We checked Michael Todd, now he can stay in balance. Now, if we continue to check him, now you go to another level, another tier of cancel culture, where it's like a repeat offender. Okay, now you really just like, you know, I think that that's one tier that's still a different tier than the people who do things that are like wrong against humanity. It's crazy because I actually thought this was going to be a short podcast episode, but alas, it is not. I'm almost done. I really just wanted to talk about my first experience witnessing cancel culture firsthand. This was in 2016. Mind you, this was like my first year watching pageants like by myself as an avid pageant fan and a potential contestant one day. Like I was really just watching these all by myself. Like what are the different pageants? And anyway, this was Miss Teen USA 2016. And I remember just not fully knowing like the different categories and how things worked and the top five girls were all white and blonde and I specifically remember I think it was like Mario Lopez who was hosting and he was like I think the winner is gonna be blonde and I was like oh my gosh like Mario Lopez you can't say that and then it was like oh it's because all of the top five contestants were blonde Anyway, the winner ended up being Carly Hay from Texas. Hours after she was named the winner in Las Vegas, she's Miss Teen USA, commentators on Twitter began referencing her old tweets, which featured the N-word from years ago. And she had a lot of other racial slurs in her history as well. And there was a big push to like decrown her, like dethrone her. And I was just like, that would be my worst nightmare. Like, I think it's a lot of people's worst nightmare to be canceled. I don't think that I would do anything to be canceled, but like, this is literally one of the reasons why I don't get on Twitter because it's like, anything that you say can be taken out of context. And how many people do you know? We can have, there are endless people. Like, um, what is John Legend's wife's name? Chrissy Teigen. She, same thing. Years later, 
tweets pulled up and they're used against you and now you're canceled. And sometimes, again, it's a checks and balance. It's like, okay, you may have been able to say those things then, but you can't say them now. And in order for you to really feel it, we need the backing of online shaming, which then goes into the support of the brands. Like no, now these brands are no longer supporting you. You no longer have these sponsorships. Like it's, it's such, uh, I feel so conflicted by it because like I said part of me feels like yo cancel culture is too much you should not be public shaming people but then a part of me is like if we don't hold these people accountable who will but I do think that things go too far overall sometimes cancel culture works and sometimes it doesn't this girl Carly Hay she ended up being able to keep her title despite all the controversy that erupted after the discovery of her tweets but her year was so whack like she didn't do really anything I think that she did like more modeling necessarily but like she wasn't on social media during her reign but understandably so she was literally afraid for her life to be on social media during her year reign so again cancel culture it's a lot but I think that the place that it holds in culture is is a way for us to enact social justice side note something that I didn't mention until I started editing this video because I didn't think about it was how the entire Karen culture was literally created from cancel culture like the Karens were able to be so afraid after Karening out there in the world because we had the ability, the power to cancel them by being able to hold them accountable for their actions. And again, as black people, use their white tears and their white fragility against them and saying you can't treat people a certain type of way, be racist, be sexist, and not be held accountable for it. I think that the whole Karen situation is a whole another generation that cancel culture has created in itself and I didn't get to talk about it but I also think that that's a really interesting thing as well. I saw this post online that talked about how the more vocal you are, the more you will get called out, the more you will grow. And this is preferable to the alternative of silence. Social justice work requires humility. So people who want to be out there and speaking on things, you have to be willing to be called out and to be told that you are wrong in order for you to grow. Whereas if you just stay silent, then you can just be wrong in the dark quietly. Speaking of pageants, I think about how it's a common pageant question recently to ask like, is cancel culture a good or a bad thing? And I'm sure I would be able to kind of like sum it up one way or the other because I do feel so divided on the topic. I normally would say that it was good because no one is ever truly canceled. Even the worst of them, they just resurface and they make huge adjustments to ensure that previous mistakes never return again. But again, is it really right to shame people into being better people especially to the extent that we do where it's just online bullying it's such a bizarre concept that I can't fully get behind but I think that if I had to pick one side over the other I would say that cancel culture is good because it is society's way of having a checks and balance on people that way they don't become unstoppable in essence, it's good. However, I do think that we need to talk about how cancel culture has destroyed hundreds of careers and lives over what simply hurt feelings and how it rewards social media slacktivism, which is the practice of supporting a political or social cause by means such as social media or online petitions characterized as involving very little effort or commitment. So basically, so basically everybody posting the black square during the Black Lives matter movement so that you don't get canceled like you're just making pointless gestures in public instead of actually volunteering and giving to these charitable causes i also think it's really hard for a person's apology to be accepted during cancel culture it's relegated to the concepts of forgiveness the reconciliation and rehabilitation cancel culture also facilitates the judging of people based on non-codified moral standards that always change without warning the thing that i tried to describe it as earlier again it's like this universal feeling emotion that is struck by the action but who's to say if that universal emotion will make people feel inspired or again like maybe that action of Michael Todd could have been like whoa that really got my attention let me listen to this word or maybe everybody is so disturbed by it that now you're canceled and who's to say whether or not it's going to be accepted or not it 
it's all based off of the people. It's all based off of the times. Like I said, things that were okay to say at one point in time sometimes are not okay to say later on. And it just creates a society of distrust and suspicion and paranoia where anything you do or say today can be used against you tomorrow. Again, the very reason why I'm not on Twitter. It makes society dwell constantly on the faults of the past, but it doesn't really offer many solutions for a better future. It more so just holds people accountable. It doesn't give them any wayward way to make change and difference in reputable actions in the future. And it also legitimizes and justifies bullying. Like I said, I really don't think that people fully understand how much like the online shaming goes into no you're really just being a bully like you're really just bullying people to think how you want them to think and act how you want them to act there's times where you should remove your support from somebody but does it even need to be a huge like online spectacle instead cancel culture kind of teaches people specifically children who are the mass majority of people who are online that like people are disposable if you don't do right you're going to be exiled from culture from society it teaches children and honestly people and adults that perfectionism is expected of others and that claiming victimhood is the key to clout and fame and advancement. I also saw this post that talked about how cancel culture makes it okay to hold grudges. It makes it seem like grudges are healthy to hold. And again, going back to people apologizing, how many cancel culture apologies are actually accepted? Sometimes, like with Michael Todd, he really wasn't trying to offend anyone. He just went about it the wrong way. But cancel culture makes it seem like the intent never matters as long as somebody offends you only thing that matters is the consequence for that person. So I know I've been rambling for a while. I would love to hear in the comments what you think about cancel culture. And I also wanted to leave you guys with the understanding and the ideas that every single one of us makes mistakes. It is part of life and human development. And so we should allow people to make their mistakes and allow people to apologize, correct, and grow from them. I try to be forgiving when somebody is apologizing to me because I'd hope for the same if I were to make a mistake. And just because you forgive doesn't mean that you have to forget necessarily. Also, specifically when it came to this Michael Todd thing, like I said, I think when the ideas of cancellation comes up, you should do your own research instead of just following the crowd's narrative. Like some things are taken totally out of context. How many of you all who watched the viral video went on to watch the full sermon? You could feel the same way afterwards, but did you at least do your own research again in order to make your own conclusion from the situation? And also, if someone's behavior bothers you, just consider ignoring it. Like, does it really take the online public shaming part you are free to unfollow anyone at any time but enticing a mob of hatred and ostracizing someone is a different level it's just it's not okay it's too much I think that whenever I think about is this person worth being canceled I ask myself if I have ever made a mistake and if I would like to be canceled and ostracized the way that that person is and that normally makes me choose no. I think as people, but especially as Christians, we have to understand that we will not agree with everyone's opinion and perspective, especially on social media. And so although cancel culture has been effective in combating racism and sexism in certain situations, it's more important to think before reacting to headlines and to do your own research and allow for people to make mistakes. I say that at the end of every podcast, give yourself some grace. You, me, us, Michael Todd, Logan Paul, we're all just a work in progress. And that's the key to us being able to learn and grow from our mistakes as humans in society. I just have one verse for us for today's Kingdom Keys. It's Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. I want to talk to you today about some of the things that the enemy will do. He will cause us to walk in shame. He will cause us to feel that we're less than who God has called us to be. He will have us doubting ourselves and will have us walking in fear. And one of his biggest tricks is when we sin, when we mess up, right? Because we all fall short. Nobody is perfect. We all fall short. And the enemy will use that. He'll have us hiding it and making us feel ashamed instead of us 
going to God and just asking for forgiveness. This is what's so awesome about God. Everybody has messed up. Nobody is right but God. Do you understand me? And so I don't care what nobody try to say. We have to be real with ourselves. When we're doing something that we know is not pleasing God, sometimes we don't want to, you know, have that conversation with God at that point because it's like, oh my God, I'm embarrassed. I'm, I don't, I don't want to do it. But then it weighs on us. It, it causes us to have attitudes around the house. It causes us to have attitudes out in the streets, and it causes us to shut down and feel ashamed. Right? For all have sinned. Now, just because other people have sinned doesn't excuse my sin. But it is kind of good to know that my dysfunction and my struggle and my failures at least don't surprise God. It's not like he's never seen it before, like he's never dealt with it before, like he's never forgiven it before. But we can really only experience the depth of God's goodness when we realize the goodness that we lack. We need Jesus today. We have all sinned. We all come short of God's glory. But it is only when we are willing to admit that it's not all good that we realize how good God really is. Last but not least, we are going to end this episode off right with a few minutes of guided affirmations to keep our spirits up and focused as we move throughout our day. Remove all distractions and verbally repeat these words after me. I forgive myself for mistakes I made when I didn't know better. I know there is a divine reason behind everything. Mistakes are invitations to learn something new. I learn from my mistakes and become a better person. I forgive others that made mistakes today. We are all human. I realize that my mistakes don't define me. How I react to them and whether I choose to learn from them are what define me. We're just going to go ahead and close out the podcast like this. <laughs> if you enjoyed today's podcast episode, please subscribe. You can do so on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you're not already watching the pod, we're over here on YouTube, Beauty and Brains. Come over, subscribe, and leave a comment. You can also follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Breland Hunt. And don't forget to visit my website, BrelandHunt.com, for weekly podcast updates or to contact me to share your story or or to be a guest on the podcast. Until next time, make sure to live each day to the fullest because we only live once and give yourself some grace. We are all just a work in progress. Have a great rest of your week. I'll see you guys next time.